Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today, Luke chapter 12. Jesus' words, life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. Dear friends of Christ, you know you see it every year, the images, and you've seen it again here this summer. Um, it happens whether there's a flood or whether there's a tornado. Today, this year, it's in Kentucky. Have you seen the images? The pictures of the flood? The damage? And you see it, it's, it's, what they do is they take everything in their house, everything they possess that is water-soaked and, and moldy and ruined, and they take all that worthless stuff and they pile it in front of their house for the garbage man to come pick up. That's all their photos, that's all their clothes, that's all their furniture, it's all their stuff. A pile pile of household rubbage. All reduced to trash. Do all those ruined possessions define, identify who those people are that have lost them? Of course not. It's just stuff though, right? But we become so intermingled with our stuff. And our stuff becomes part of who we are. We have intrinsic, we are intrinsically emotionally connected to photographs and to uh, a wedding dress or love letters or other possessions that if you lose them, they're irreplaceable can't replace memories, and it hurts to lose things like that. They are, in a sense, those irreplaceable things, reminders of God's goodness. They're reminders of God's mercy. But in the end, that's all they are, reminders, earthly treasures that pass away. And in and of themselves, they have nothing to do with who we are. Nothing whatsoever. Oh, our possessions may define us for the moment. I mean, if you drive a nice car, it says something. (laughs) But when all is said and done, when you've died and your soul is in either heaven or hell, what does your car say about you then? Nothing. Not a thing. No eternal value. None. That's why Jesus said life is not about the abundance of your possessions. Now think about all the earthly things you own. As you walk into your house and see all your furniture and make your journey through your stuff. What's your most valuable possession? Of course, that's a trick question, isn't it? Because your most valuable possession doesn't live in your house on your shelf not furniture, your possessions. It's your faith in Christ Jesus. It's the Christ who lives in you. The most valuable possession that you have. You are a child of God. You are holy. You are loved. You are beloved by God. Of the Christ who lives in you and gives you your identity. So our identity is not in the stuff that surrounds us. Our identity is in the Christ who lives in us. 
And so our theme, our identity is in Christ. But possessions can be perilous. Be aware of your possessions. You know, oftentimes what our possessions do is they draw us to them and we find our meaning, our identity, and our purpose in our possessions. And all the stuff that surrounds us. God gives that a word. When we find meaning in our stuff. You know what that word is? Greed. And you know what Jesus calls greed in our text? Another word. Idolatry. You know what idolatry is? It's where we take something and we elevate it to the position of God. This stuff means so much to me. How much does Jesus mean? How much does God your Heavenly Father mean? Idolatry happens when we treasure our stuff more than we treasure the one who gave us our stuff. God created us. Jesus redeemed us. He paid the price. He shed the blood. You are precious. He loves you. That's your identity. Your soul is eternal in Christ. And yet we lose perspective about who we are, who we really are in Christ Jesus. When we lose perspective of all that, we run the risk of falling into idolatry. This happens when our deepest sense of identity is drawn to all those things that surround us, all the people that surround us. It becomes who we are. It becomes what we are. I am this kind of person with all this stuff. I am this kind of person who dresses this way. I'm this kind of person who looks this way and has this kind of family. The problem runs far more deep than simple greed, though. It's idolatry having another God. It's replacing, replacing God. The drift toward idolatry begins slowly. It begins gradually. You don't wake up in the morning like some other sins and you say, you know what, today I think I'm going to commit idolatry. Today I think I'm going to love my stuff more than anything. That's not how it goes. But how does it happen then? How does it go? Well, to help us figure that out, Jesus shows us the story of a farmer. Just a plain old basic old farmer. He gives us a parable. It's a a case study on greed and the drift into idolatry. We call it the parable of the rich fool. That word fool means idiot. (laughs) You say, you're not supposed to call people idiots. (laughs) The Bible does. This guy's a, a rich idiot, a rich fool. He should know better. But that, that's misleading. I don't, I don't like that title because when we think about the rich fool, we immediately remove ourselves from that because I'm not, I'm not a fool, you're not a fool, and therefore we're not the rich fool. But the point of Jesus' parable is that that is what we are. So why is this guy wealthy in the first place? Catch that in the text? God enabled him to become wealthy. Did you catch that? Jesus said, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. Did you catch that? How'd the man become rich? 
the land produced plentifully. How did the land produce plentifully? God provided the land. God provided the sun. God provided the rain. God provided the grain. God provided the crops. God provided the growth. God provided the bumper crop, the bumper harvest. And how did the guy respond to God's blessings? He took credit for everything. Did you catch that? Took credit for all that God had provided. Now count how many times he uses the word my. He said, I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build larger ones. And there I'm going to store all my grain and all my goods. These were his things. His barn, his crops, his grain, his goods. So how do you think? Your car, your house, your clothes, your family, your stuff. If that's how you think, Jesus has some words for you this morning. How do you think about your money and your possessions? Do you take pride in them as if they are your own? Like it's a trophy on the mantle, all your stuff. And all that stuff speaks of how smart you are and how well you've invested and how successful you've been and all the things you've been able to accomplish. Do you see the danger in all that? So how should we view our possessions? 50% of them from God and we provide the other 50%? Or is it maybe 70% God provides, we provide the other 30%? Or are you more inclined to say, no, wait a minute, I worked for it. I earned it. I bought it. It's mine. How do you view your possessions? How do you view your stuff? Remember this, how you view your stuff says a lot about your relationship with Jesus. How you view your stuff says a lot about your faith. How you understand who Jesus is. As for the man of our parable, he was the kind of guy who was stuck in his stuff. And so he made plans. He made plans because he had so much stuff. He had to build barns. He had to build more larger places to keep his stuff. And, it, and really, that's sensible. It makes sense. You know, what happens if you're a farmer and you have an abundance of grain? You don't want to just dump it on the ground because what's, what's it going to do over the time, over years? It's going to rot away. So you, it's smart. You've got a lot of stuff. You build stuff to put your stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. There is no crime, no sin in building a barn. I also don't find fault in the fact that he wanted to spend it on fun. God had blessed him with wealth. And he wanted to go eat, drink, and be merry. Nothing wrong with that. How many of you go eat, drink, and be merry? How many of you enjoyed a good vacation? No sin in that. No sin in spending our wealth on fun. Matter of fact, King Solomon talks about how much he enjoyed his wealth. He says, there is nothing better for people to do than to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their work. I saw that even this comes from the hand of God. Who can eat and drink or even enjoy themselves without God? God's the one who gives wisdom and joy to those who please Him. 
So there's no crime in enjoying God's gifts. There's no crime in building barns. So why does God call the man in our parable a fool? What makes him so foolish? Well, he had slipped, he had fallen into the slippery slope of idolatry. How did this farmer do that? How did he become a fool? What kept him from being rich toward God? He used the word my. My stuff. He was a my stuff kind of guy. He took ownership. He even took ownership of his soul. He said, I'm going to talk to my soul. It's my soul. It's my life. It's my stuff. It's a tiny two-letter word. Possessive pronoun. My. The word doesn't even stand on its own. It needs a possession. My. My what? Oh, yeah, my stuff. And as Christians, how we view that possessive pronoun makes all the difference in the world. So are you a wise child of God or are you a faithless fool? Perhaps the road to idolatry isn't paid with how much wealth you have, but the possessive pronoun. We know God's the owner of all things. As Christians, we can't take his place. As Christians, we don't want to. We want him to be God. We want him to own all things. We want him to take care of us. And we, we, when we have the right attitude about the things that surround us, we learn godly contentment. Paul wrote, godliness with contentment is great gain. Being satisfied with the gifts that God has given us. Being satisfied. Being content. That itself is a gift from God. The gift of contentment. Do you have that gift? It's a spiritual gift. Jesus had it. Now Jesus admitted he never had anything. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't need stuff to identify him. He didn't need a Maserati. He found perfect fulfillment in doing the work that his heavenly Father had given him to do. He found perfect fulfillment in suffering and dying for you. He found perfect fulfillment, content, to do whatever is necessary to love you. To be your Savior. And his work reached completion on Good Friday, didn't it? All that pain, all that suffering, the price that he paid... And forever, his identity is tied to who he is, a Savior. That's his identity. He's God. And from his identity flows the forgiveness of sins. From his identity opens the kingdom of God to all believers. From his identity, salvation is offered to sinners. And that's a precious gift given to you. What a precious gift we've received from God. The greatest gift of all. Eternal life in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And all the blessings that he offers thereafter. It's all yours. It all belongs to you. You are wealthy in Christ. And all those blessings are free. Free. It didn't cost you one thing. And you didn't earn it. As a matter of fact, you don't even deserve it. It's called grace. Amazing grace. 
What does it mean? It means that you have a God who gives you meaning. God who lives in you. Never gives up on you. It means all your stuff belongs to God. Just as you belong to God. Because He possesses you. And He possesses your stuff. So enjoy your stuff. Enjoy your stuff. It's a blessing. Just never let your stuff possess you. Can you imagine your house possessing you? And your house says, this is my servant. I own him. Or your car possessing you. This is my servant. I own this person. Why would we do the same thing with our possessions and say, this is my car. I own this car. This is my house. I own this house. When in fact, Jesus owns you and Jesus owns all our possessions. You know, we name our stuff. We claim, we claim our stuff. Name it and claim it. And we name and claim it as our own. No. Instead, Jesus names you. Jesus claims you to be his own, to be his own possession, to be his own child, to be his family. He claims you despite your dark, deviant desires and the idolatries of our hearts. And He fills you with His gifts, His mercy, His grace, His love, His daily possession, His daily provision. God has taken all the me, my, and mine out, and He's replaced it with His. You are His. And in the end, that's what matters, isn't it? That's what gives us identity. You have an identity that lasts forever. A treasure that gives you eternal purpose. You are His. You are His. And your future is tied to Christ. Paul writes, you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who comes back, who is your life, appears, you'll also appear with Him in glory. It's a resurrection promise. You'll never run on empty. You'll always have plenty. Plenty love, plenty mercy, plenty grace, plenty blessings. Why? Because God said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. We have every reason to be content. Our identity is not in our stuff. Our identity is in Christ. Amen. And now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting.